modern medicine has a problem. Today, there is an urgent need for medical breakthroughs to overcome complex non-communicable diseases like cancer and diabetes, whose prevalence is growing as populations age. Many of our biggest breakthroughs in antibiotics and vaccines date to the 20th century or earlier, and it's getting slower and more expensive to find new and effective treatments, and also slower and more expensive to run clinical trials and get drugs to patients that need them. This is New Foundations, a podcast about innovation and social impact from the Economist Intelligence Unit. I'm Jeremy Kingsley. This podcast is supported by Pictet Wealth Management. In today's episode, we're looking at how a convergence of healthcare technologies, and in particular AI, promised to speed up and lower the cost of drug discovery and development. It's kind of changing the discovery process from looking for a needle in a haystack without a map to now saying, actually, this AI system has drawn something of a map for us, and so we can get to that needle in the haystack more quickly. This becomes then a a, a real panacea that can open up innovation in the pharmaceutical industry. The first place where AI starts to make an impact today is around study design, study feasibility and optimization, and site selection. Since the 1950s, progress in drug development has been disappointing. The number of new drugs approved per billion dollars spent on R&D has halved roughly every nine years. And this problem has been given a rather catchy name within the pharmaceutical industry. Eroom's law, which is the, the opposite of Moore's law in reverse. Karina Nami is a partner at Episode One Ventures, a British firm investing in early stage technology businesses. Moore's law is, is the kind of exponential increase in in computational power over time whereas in biotech and pharma even though we're getting you know better and better technologies actually developing drugs is getting harder and more expensive at an exponential rate and that is really prohibitive and really prevents us from from pushing into different disease areas where it might not make economic sense for those companies um And, you know, there are lots of different explanations for why this might be happening. Possibly it's that the low-hanging fruit in in finding drugs have kind of been been plucked and now it's getting harder and harder. Um, It could also be that regulators are more and more risk-averse. It's kind of fascinating, though, that in spite of all our advances in technology, it's actually getting harder and harder and slower to develop drugs. All of this has made pharmaceutical companies more risk-averse more concerned about their return on investment and less likely to pursue therapies for rare diseases and conditions that affect millions of often marginalised people. But several technological advances are beginning to alter the economics of drug discovery and development. There's a lot of optimism, I would say, about AI and computational techniques speeding up the discovery phase. So, I mean, if you think of AI as basically a very, very powerful pattern spotting system that learns and improves over time and then you think about the fact that in the discovery phase of looking for a drug you're running experiments often huge in parallel experiments where you're collecting vast amounts of data and having that kind of pattern spotting ability means that you can very quickly zero in on 
where are the most promising spots in your experimental data? And then you can focus your resources and your energy on developing those things further. It's kind of changing the discovery process from more of a trial and error, looking for a needle in a haystack without a map, to now saying, actually, this AI system has drawn something of a map for us, and so we can get to that needle in the haystack more quickly. There's so much information, biomedical information out there, that it's impossible for any one human or team of humans to get a grip on it and understand everything that's going on. Peter Richardson is Vice President of Pharmacology at Benevolent AI. His company uses artificial intelligence to mine and analyse biomedical information from academic papers and clinical trials to make new discoveries. So we're getting well over a million, probably two million papers a year coming in. And it's just impossible for humans on their own to sift through all this information. So what we do is we mine using machine reading as many documents as we can manage, all of PubMed, a lot of structured information from databases, compile it all together and put it into what we call a knowledge graph, which is a series of relationships between genes biological pathways, mechanisms, tissues, organs, and diseases. So in this way, we hope, and this was, not only can we give scientists access to all the information, we can infer new understanding, and thereby we are able to generate new drugs for unmet needs. A typical drug discovery process can take around 15 years from the first stages of research to commercial launch. But when health crises strike, time can be of the essence. While the coronavirus continues to spread at speed. The novel coronavirus outbreak spreading across the world. Officially hitting the US, here's what we know. And more than half a million people worldwide have lost their lives. Earlier this year, Richardson and his team set out to find connections between human genes and biological processes affected by COVID-19 and examined how existing medications interact with them. Within only two days, Richardson and his team identified a possible treatment called baricitinib. The drug was originally designed to treat rheumatoid arthritis. Early clinical trial data, announced in September, is showing that the drug could play a role in combination with other antivirals such as remdesivir in reducing COVID-19 patients' recovery time in hospital. When COVID started in Wuhan, we knew it was different. And... What we set out to do was find an approved drug, in other words, one that can be given to patients now, it's got authorization from the regulators, which we could use to inhibit the disease and at the same time inhibit the causes of death in the disease, which we already knew was acute respiratory distress syndrome, otherwise known as ARDS. And in January, we used the knowledge graph to identify the processes which are used by the virus or could be used by the virus to get inside cells. And we focused on one of them called clathrin-mediated endocytosis. But what was particularly important was two possible drug targets were shown at the same time. 
Those drug targets were ripe candidates for repurposing drugs because they're of a class where a lot of the drugs cross-react with many of them. And it only took about an afternoon to spot those targets. I suppose the whole process took a little over a week, call it two weeks for polishing. Uh, and then we were able to publish it in The Lancet in the beginning of February. And how is this different to the traditional process? I would suggest that we would have been extremely lucky to recognise this fact. And it would only be somebody who works on both the drug and viruses and probably rheumatoid arthritis, because that's what the drug's approved for. What this knowledge graph does is it enables me, who I don't work on rheumatoid arthritis, I don't work on viruses, it enabled us to find a drug that was going to work despite our ignorance. It increases the probability of successful identification quickly. Artificial intelligence can not only help researchers find new applications for existing treatments, but discover entirely new ones. From a conventional point of view, what we um, tend to do is to screen hundreds of thousands, if not millions of compounds, looking for those first sort of suboptimal, what are called hit molecules, molecules which by serendipity or chance happen to have some small effect on the drug target or protein of interest. Andrew Hopkins is the CEO of Accenture, a leading pharma tech company that claims to be the first to automate drug discovery. The human drug designer then looks at that data, looks at those sort of initial sort of weak binding hit molecules, and starts making hypotheses about what changes to molecular architecture, what atoms they want to add, remove, or change to improve our compound, then make it and test it. And they go through this iterative optimization procedure inside pharmaceutical companies, and on average, making and testing around two and a half thousand compounds. Uh, to find out an optimal drug molecule that is safe enough then to be taken into human clinical trials. And this entire field then is called the discovery stage, you know, going from the idea of which medicine we want to design to coming up then with a prototype uh, drug molecule that we believe safe enough to take to humans. That's conventionally how we've done it, and it's a process that can take uh, four to five years. And I said, actually, uh, the optimization, that search procedure can take the sort of synthesis and experimental test event of at least two and a half thousand compounds. And that then is the, the problem that Accentia set out to try to solve, how we convert that from a, a bespoke, almost artisan process into a more formalized, systematic method of discovery. And that is a kind of computational problem of searching for patterns in data that AI is well suited to solve? The paradox we have seen is that over the past decade, in fact, our knowledge of disease processes has, has, has grown incredibly. We have a huge, wide range of um, new technologies at our disposal. Everything in the past 20 years from, you know, the first generation of computational drug design, high throughput screening, to more recently stem cells, high content screening, CRISPR, etc. Huge range of new technologies that, that give us a, a much wider toolbox to manipulate biology and find sort of new drugs. But at the same time, the, of, um, the thing that hasn't changed is the human cognitive bandwidth. When we run in a project these days, we, we tend to find that we are trying to optimize dozens of different parameters uh, in parallel. We have to deal with a huge wealth of information, you know, including obviously now the um, decrease in, in genome sequencing costs. 
And at the heart of it lies, the thing which hasn't changed, is sort of human cognitive bandwidth then to analyze and assess all this information and make decisions for it. So one of our sort of hypotheses has been that of the paradox of why we have increasing knowledge and better technology, but also decreasing productivity is that the bottleneck thing that hasn't changed actually is that we've been you know, overloading the decision-making processes of humans to absorb this information and apply it and create hypotheses. So therefore, that's why we believe that actually the, the real attraction of uh, using artificial intelligence, it allows us then actually to improve the, of, um, our ability to, to analyze this data and make decisions in such a, such a complex space. What are the implications then of, of speeding up that? process with AI? Can we discover more drugs more more cheaply, hopefully pass some of those costs on? There's a myriad of really exciting implications, actually, if you scale this up. We take the uh, economic metric models, which we have of the pharmaceutical industry, of uh, how R&D works from, you know, the first projects all the way to approval of drugs. On average, you actually need around 20 early stage projects just to get one drug out the end. You know, most projects fail. So when you actually you take those models and then you plug in the, the metrics, apply in our algorithms, is that we see that we can make a significant cost reduction of at least around 80% in sort of early stage uh, drug discovery. And that then has a knock-on effect to approximately saving maybe a third of the entire cost of bringing a drug to market. So the entire cost of bringing a drug to market right now is approximately of nearly $2 billion. Therefore, 30% saving is approximately you know, $600 million. So a very significant cost saving just by improving that early stage drug discovery. But it also has other big implications as well. For example, one of the reasons why innovation sometimes is so slow is because the cost of doing a drug discovery project is very expensive, often in the order of double-digit millions. Industry benchmark figures suggest that actually uh, companies sometimes need to spend over $60 million before they get one molecule that's ready to go into human clinical trial testing. Now, if we see now you could potentially bring that down you know, by a fifth or six, then you potentially could bring many more molecules forward to human clinical testing than before. This podcast is supported by Pictet Wealth Management. AI and drug discovery is just one technological trend transforming medicine, and it is combining with others. Pictet's head of asset allocation and macro research, Christophe Donnet, explains where he sees opportunities in the future of healthcare. Health innovations over the last century have increased life expectancy throughout the world and brought us to an era where the 110th birthdays could be a normal occurrence. In this new era, healthcare will benefit not just from innovations within the field, but outside of it, like materials, design, 3D printing, and nanotechnology, leading to closer ties between companies and healthcare agencies forging new collaborations, partnerships, and product development pathways. Investors should be reassured by the industry's ability to respond to risk. The coronavirus pandemic has shown how quickly companies, universities, and researchers can come together to find solutions. For instance, researchers published the entire genetic makeup of the virus within days. When SARS broke out in 2003, this process took months. The crisis has also shown us the power of artificial intelligence as a healthcare tool. 
one machine learning platform predicted the outbreak potential in December, long before health agencies were taking action. Data analytics tools in sectors like e-commerce and marketing are now providing Vintor to tracking mobility and public behaviors, which we have governments monitor adherence to social distancing and quarantines. In the next year or two, healthcare will be increasingly predictive and preventive, allowing each individual to monitor all aspects of their well-being, from nutrition to fitness, so they can avoid disease in the first place. Another future shift will be more ambitious, trying to surpass the normal limits of human health and capabilities from increasing our perceptual abilities on the IQ through to lengthening lifespan. When it comes to drug development, identifying a candidate drug is just one part of the process. The really difficult and expensive bit is clinical trials, complex and costly endeavors which can often fail for logistical rather than medical reasons. Only about 12% of drug development programs end in success. Without clinical trials, we don't have the evidence that we need to understand efficacy and safety of new medicines in people, in patients with a condition, or in healthy volunteers in the case of a vaccine. Craig Lipset is an advisor to biopharma and technology companies around clinical trials and a former head of clinical innovation at pharmaceutical company Pfizer. But clinical trials are complex. They are hard to manage. They're hard to participate in for all stakeholders. The first place where AI starts to make an impact today is around study design, study feasibility and optimization, and site selection. Right now in pharma companies, Development organizations have been heavily resourcing their teams around these areas of study design, feasibility, optimization, and site selection, heavily resourcing those teams with data scientists as never before. Because within the operations of the development organization, these are the most data-intensive areas in terms of trying to use diverse data to improve their work. These folks are trying to consume a wide array of different data concurrently, and it's turning into a really nice sweet spot for where AI can help those people to make better sense of that data. The benefits here include that ability to reduce the likelihood of a study that needs to pause for a protocol amendment or a protocol revision, which takes time and takes money and just slows the whole machine down, or it just prevents us from running studies that may wind up futile, even though the drug itself may still have promise. Recruitment is often the most time-consuming and expensive part of a clinical trial, requiring researchers to find people that fit the specification of a particular trial by demographic and the particularities of their condition. Karina Nami again. In some cases, it's unfortunately very mundane, trivial reasons for trials to fail. So things like not being able to recruit enough patients for the clinical trial, and so running out of time and not having enough people to do it with. 
means that a very promising drug sometimes just doesn't get through to the next stage. It's still incredibly archaic how the industry does that. You know, it's kind of paper-based and questionnaires and advertising in kind of physical spaces. And one of the companies that I recently invested in called Sano Genetics is really all about how do we use the latest and greatest in software and apps to access people and get them to contribute to science and get them to join relevant clinical trials. And that actually, as simple as it sounds, would make a massive impact on the progress of, of medical discovery. Craig Lipset. I'd say a last area that could be far more of a game changer and has a longer tail to adoption is how we think about control arms in our clinical trials. Typically, most studies that are randomized control trials have half the patients getting the active arm, which means the, the new, the investigational medicine, and the other half of patients are getting a control. Now, that doesn't always mean a placebo, but control might be what we call standard of care. You're getting what you probably might have been getting if you weren't in the study. But a newer AI-driven approach for alternative control arms that I'm thinking is, is, is going to become something very interesting in this space is our ability to create digital twins for the patients that are in the active arm. Digital twins using AI and diverse data to be able to create a digital version of that patient who's not in the active arm and where that patient's digital twin can become their own control in the study and thereby lessen our dependence on enrolling patients into control arms in the future simply by enrolling patients into the active arm and synthesizing using AI their own digital twins to serve as their controls. Speeding up and reducing the complexity of drug discovery and development will not just mean potentially more affordable drugs, but new drugs for rarer, more niche diseases that are underexplored or the unique, numerous manifestations of cancers. There's the whole area of, um, of orphan and rare diseases. So there are about 7,000 rare diseases out there. Only 5% of them have treatments. And, and part of the reason for that is because the patient population is so small, there isn't the economic incentive to develop the drugs because your market for it is too small. Um, and, and that's really really cruel and really harsh because a lot of these diseases are very debilitating. But if you can start finding and developing drugs more cheaply and more quickly, then suddenly these rare diseases start looking um, much more amenable and, and economically viable. One of the areas where the way we treat diseases is really quite archaic is in cancer. We sort of treat cancers as if every patient's particular cancer is the same as all the others with that cancer, when actually it's a very personal thing. Each person's cancer is a different cocktail of, of mutations that progresses in a different way. And in the past, we haven't really had the tools to do better than treat cancer with a sort of average approach. So we treat each individual as if they are the average. Whereas now, Using machine learning and AI, because you can ingest and analyze huge amounts of data, you can start to personalize the treatment that people are getting in cancer. So you look at their particular biopsy and you say, well, given 
all the data that's come before, it seems that you need a bespoke cocktail of drugs and treatments for your cancer, where we really predict the route that this cancer is going to take and the way that it's going to evade our drugs. And, and from the get-go, we plan for that and sort of cut off all the possible routes of escape for this cancer progression. And that, I believe, will make a huge impact in the prognosis for lots of, lots of cancer patients. And similarly, Andrew Hopkins at Accenture thinks AI might just be the catalyst needed to open up cures for more niche diseases. That's the economic logic if you follow it through of if you can sort of lower the barriers to entry and lower the costs of doing so. Because it would allow us then to really try to think about how you might make sort of the concept of precision medicine more economical. How then you can go for more niche indications and more rare diseases uh, potentially. This becomes then a a real panacea that can open up innovation in the pharmaceutical industry if we can change the economic structure of the industry. And we believe, you know, what we see now with advances in artificial intelligence, that that is the real promise of it. That's it for this episode of New Foundations. If you enjoyed what you heard, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can find out more about the series, along with articles and further reading, at newfoundations.economist.com. And thanks again to Pictay Wealth Management for their support.